Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. This week, we're taking a look at the scramble for Africa from the perspective of the Democratic Republic of Congo. We'll be using the acronym DRC because saying that over and over again is a little bit long. And Belgium. So Belgium, the land of chocolates, waffles, fries, beers, Christmas markets. They're quite good, actually. Yeah, I went last year. Honestly, they have one of the best Christmas markets I've ever seen. Has a deep and dark historical relationship with the continent. Um, most specifically the DRC. So from 1880 to 1920, close to half a million of the DRC's population lost their lives. So it went from 20 million to roughly 10 million within that 40-year period. This often untold genocide was led by King Leopold II. It's also quite interesting how with Belgium we associate it with chocolate, but quite often this, this cocoa is actually produced in African countries. Yeah, I think there's a lot of those kind of like associations, isn't there? Yeah, because like you have in the UK, like tea, which is actually from India. So it's also, it, we need to recognise that these things have like pasts and the real sort of cultural context as to where these things come from. And I think also just looking at Belgium when you think about that time period and like, you know, when people think of the empire and who had you know, the, your top colonizers <laughs> list, not that anyone was writing top 10 list of colonizers. The heavyweight colonizers. <laughs> if, if there were to be such a thing, you'd be thinking, you know, your France, your UK, yeah. Belgium, less so. But mm-hmm. stick with us. There's a bit of like a Jekyll and Hyde situation with Belgium. I think Belgium could compete with the UK, you know. Honestly, especially, yeah, the extent of their involvement in exploiting and destroying the DRC. But, you know. It's a very not... uplifting podcast, by the way. It's going to make you smile in this episode. <laughs> All right. So how did a relatively unknown country like Belgium end up with a genocidal legacy? So up to the 19th century, the African continent was pretty much a mystery to Europeans. So What is this? What's a black person? I've never seen one before. Oh, let me go. We need to explore and find to... out. What do they look like? We need to claim know? this as our own, don't mm-hmm. we? Because we're explorers. <laughs> this is the first time we've ever seen it. Well, according to uh, an account from the book King Leopold's Ghost, there were stories of Africa containing one-eyed people who used their feet to cover their heads, and it was declared that Africa held people with one leg, three faces, and the heads of lions. Three faces and a head of a lion. Well, that How lion... That even wh- I, I don't understand that concept. I'm that sorry. That lion stereotype, you know, this whole, did you live with the lions? You can see here that it... It was out here. It was around in the eighteen yeah, hundreds. You know, people yeah. were still like, "Oh, the lions!" You know. Ooh. <laughs> to be honest, if a lion came up, I would still run. It's not like a contained one because I'm black. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm can you imagine? <laughs> people just be looking at you like, "Okay, she knows what to do. She knows how to communicate. <laughs> she knows how to communicate." <laughs> Expecting you to roar back at it, like it's not happening. Mate. It's not, I'm <laughs> running. Uh, yeah, like the rest of everybody else, just expecting you like. No, it's <laughs> honestly no they really thought that we were lions. <laughs> what were they thinking, honestly? But also at that time, they were seeing other black people. I guess because they hadn't really explored the continent, they were like, okay, what is the most far fetched thing that yeah. we can come up with? It's interesting because you had the Moors and then you had Othello, who was, you know, Othello the Moor, and Shakespeare was a black person. So 
don't know where they came up with this concept. It's <laughs> Maybe this is why we're so exotic. Yeah. Oh my gosh, honestly. <laughs> More exotic than a pineapple. <laughs> the head of a lion. <laughs> More exotic than... <laughs> Tell me about it. So, in the 1800s, when European countries began to explore the continent, um, they found its abundance of minerals and resources, and they began to claim certain parts for themselves. So, pretty much This is the start of of Monopoly. (laughs) It's pretty much Monopoly, where you could be like, oh, I own this country. (laughs) Rolling that dice, and you're like, okay. I've got a double six. (laughs) Get to get, like, more land. This is great. As more and more European countries got involved in claiming a piece of Africa, the relationship between Africa and the West went from informal imperialism of control through military influence and economic dominance to that of direct rulership. And during that time, King Leopold II also wanted to claim, in his own words, a slice of the magnificent African cake. (laughs) So he thinks that our continent is now a cake. It's now a cake. It's not a country, mind. It's a cake. It's a cake. This is now an episode of the Bake Off. Yeah, it's Do you know what I mean? What kind of cake are we having? Is that a sponge cake? It's a chocolate Do you know what cake. I mean? How, it's got to be oh, chocolate. Oh, it's got to be. Oh, oh look yeah, at that. no, that's true. It's got to be chocolate. <laughs> Gosh, honestly, just the fact that he didn't even, I think that just represents that he didn't even see us as human beings. Definitely. He was just like, oh, yeah, it's a piece. I can have a bit of that. I'll have a bit of that. Do you know what that. I mean? I've got a bit of Belgium, but I fancy a bit of that. Something to just I... be devoured, you know? It's just really frustrating that they were able to get away with just taking over huge quantities of land with just no consequences whatsoever. Because when I go to Lola's Cupcakes, I still got to pay. They still want to see a card <laughs> for that slice. They're not just out I bet he didn't, pay, he didn't pay a dime. He, he just walked pay, in oh. the store, picked up the cake and left. I was like, you'll pay me. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Going to Lola's Cupcakes, it give you some diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> Leopold II came into power in 1865 and wanted Belgium to be part of the colonisation trend swooping Europe. So many of his European counterparts were heavily involved in this trend and really making the most of it. At the time, Central Africa hadn't really been explored by Leopold's counterparts due to the difficulties in accessing the terrain. And so the king decided the DRC was the perfect country for him to own. He employed a famous explorer of the time, Henry Morton Stanley, a Welshman. Mm. Who knew? Like, honestly, this podcast is so dope. We've got a Welshman just popping in when it comes to the DRC and oh, Belgium. Sorry, I'm just going to... Oh, my colonisation alarm is going off. I oh, just need to... I gotta go. I <laughs> see gotta ya. see you later. That's pretty much what he was doing It's there. a bit like Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> Except backpack wasn't so friendly this oh, time. Oh, backpack was... <laughs> At face value, Stanley's job was promoted as a scientific expedition, but in reality, his role was to create the infrastructure, so roads and railways, and essentially the setup for trade, and with the overall aim of enabling Leopold to exploit the country's mineral riches by essentially shipping them back out into the West. So it's interesting how this infrastructure, the roads and the railways, were set up, but it wasn't really about helping the people of that country. Like the primary aim was just to get those. Yeah. How quickly can I get out. things out? So <laughs> can you just sort out the roads and things like that? Especially considering he went in there, you know, people weren't exploring it as much because of the difficult terrain. You think they'd be like, oh, you know what? Let's help let's them. help the people get around. Yeah. Let's help them get from A to B. But no. But how can I get these diamonds from A to B? <laughs> <laughs> That's the important as thing. As quickly here. as possible. <laughs> 
Um, just a quick side note as well. The DRC was not Leopold's first colonization attempt. So in 1869 to 75, he made several attempts to acquire the Philippines from Spain, but that never came to fruition. And following this failure, he then set his sights on the African continent. So he was honestly desperate. If at first you don't succeed, Do you know what I mean. You know, try, try again. You know, in the words of Aaliyah. Who knew she would she would come in and be come in. <laughs> Yes. We are bringing in so many different so people. So many on references. This <laughs> Although King Leopold II was keen to have a colony of his own, the Belgian government weren't willing to support this venture. And so he had to go out and invest on this venture on his own. So how do you obtain the funds to own a colony? How do you obtain the funds to own a colony? It's a bit like a knock knock joke, but like more brutal. <laughs> more brutal. <laughs> like devastating consequences. Yes. I maybe won't follow your instructions. No. <laughs> well, you create what can only be described as the biggest PR stunt of the time, which involves setting up a dummy NGO. Leopold hosted the Geographical Conference on Central Africa. This was an exclusive guest list of explorers, geographers and humanitarians. So why did Leopold bring all these people together? In his own words, it was to open civilization to the only part of the globe which has not yet been penetrated, to pierce the darkness which hangs over the entire people, is a crusade worthy of this century of progress. He also thought about what civilization would look like for those living in the DRC. His apparent plans involved setting up bases where they could educate African communities because for him, it wasn't a question of a business proposition. It was really more about a completely spontaneous collaboration between all those who wished to engage in introducing civilization to Africa. So his choice of words here, piss in the darkness, crusade. It's very mm. much a white saviour complex. Like, Google, uh, pierce the darkness. We're here to literally... Literally <laughs> pierce and kill people. Yeah. That this is what he means by pierce the darkness. This is there's a lot of language used to describe the African continent. So um there was a book, I think it was by Joseph Conrad called Heart of Darkness, which was mm -hmm. apparently just mad racist. And over at A level English lit, they were like, Oh guys, you can write an essay, whatever book you want. I was like, Okay, cool. But like, oh you could read Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Found out it was about this guy who is exploring Africa and basically yeah. is very racist. <laughs> I was like, I'm definitely not writing no, that. Not. Don't think NXL would appreciate me no. saying that the author was racist. Following this, um, there was also the Berlin West Africa Conference of 1884 to 1885, which was a pivotal moment for the time and shaped how the continent is divided up today. So the conference was essentially a trade event where you had all the key European players of the colonisation derby coming together to divide and barter each piece of territory within the continent. And they essentially made an official claim to parts of the African continent that they wanted. It was essentially a coloniser bun fight. Do you know what I mean? Do you Just want to join this like... society? <laughs> yeah, I want a piece of that. I Every want that one. Why not? <laughs> I'll be having that. I'm going to join that society. It sounds fun. <laughs> And obviously, they weren't thinking about the local culture or even including Africans in the conversation because why do they need to be they involved? They need to know. You know what I mean? They've been living there. Yeah. but We need, need to, to civilise them. Yeah. <laughs> the Berlin Conference really reaffirmed that the DRC belonged to King Leopold and this agreement was more straightforward considering his superficial philanthropic efforts. So the rest 
of the European countries really saw Leopold as doing good. So kind of let's let's leave him have the DRC, give him a little bit. He's civilizing them after yeah, all. He's, yeah, he's helping out. He's helping out. And the conference also reinforced this idea of Africa being a place open to exploitation. You know, now that Leopold had ownership of a country 76 times the size of Belgium, he was free to do whatever he wanted. And one of the first things he decided to do following the conference was to name the DRC the Congo Free State. What an ironic name there. Honestly, Free State. <laughs> See, they say we're not free. Out of all the names, Free State <laughs> is what you decide to go for. He's given the illusion that he's helping them and liberating them from their, you know, pre-civilization ways. But that's clearly not the case, as we'll find out. If you're going to play word bingo of this podcast, right, I think the words to use <laughs> would be like... Civilization. Civilization, white saviour complex. <laughs> like... The, it's, it's, it's a theme, isn't it? It's a constant <laughs> theme over and over again, you know hidden you know the illusion of freedom that's another oh, one yeah. oh independence oh that's... yeah mm. like oh, gosh it's just rep- so repetitive um side note according to researchers if you simpropose on the map of europe the congo it would stretch from zurich to moscow to central turkey so that just goes to show you the like the size belgium is it's so small huge. and all of a sudden they're like we want this huge yeah country yeah. So we can play around with. And that's something you don't realise as well when you look at the maps because I remember getting a flight from Morocco down to Ghana and I was like, why is this flight five hours? Why is, why it, is it six taking hours? so long? Why is, it, <laughs> why is it basically a long haul? Well, actually, that's because the African continent is huge and the countries within the continent are massive as well. I mean, I didn't really know that Congo was that big, I'll be honest. Yeah, neither did I. I was like, oh my gosh, he's got such a big piece of a continent that he's like wow he's basically got the great uh he's he's done well in monopoly let's just put it that way Mm -hmm. leopold's strategy in the drc was exploit 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 he used his right hand man henry morton stanley a famous and well-respected explorer to explore the congo however for the congolese people stanley was a harsh and brutal taskmaster who had no respect for them one of stanley's first tasks was to get all the different congo chiefs he came upon to sign a treaty The Congo chiefs, with no written language, had no idea what they were signing. In return for cloth, trinkets, beads and gin, the chiefs gave up their rights to the land. It's actually quite interesting because um, when it says that they have no written language, it doesn't really mean anything about their intelligence. It's just how the language was at the time. Yeah. Because it was more of a spoken language and stories Mm -hmm. were shared down through generations. And Mm -hmm. one thing I noticed as well is that if you look at I'm talking from a Nigerian point of view, but if you look yeah. at like the Ibo language or the Yoruba language, you're like, why? Why are they Latin letters? That doesn't make it sense. sense. Mm-hmm. It's literally just like read what you see, mm. because these languages previously wouldn't have probably used the Latin alphabet if they were writing. It's at written the time. Down. Yeah, yeah. The DRC is full of riches from ivory to rubber to coffee and diamonds, which now all belongs to Leopold, who in turn decided to monetize this. He forced the Congolese people to collect rubber and villagers had rubber quotas that they had to meet. If they failed to meet their quota, they were beaten, whipped and their hands were cut off. He brought in private investors in the form of companies and banks and gave them land on which they could carry out their own economic and human exploitation. Stanley saw the DRC as something he could shape as he wished without any consequence and this is evident in his journal recordings in which he describes the continent as a blank, fruitless waste a desolate and unproductive area. It has been our purpose to fill this blank with life. 
Like, really? So my question to him <laughs> is, is if Africa is a blank fruitless waste, why why are you here? Yeah. It doesn't like, make did you get that? Sense. Like, honestly, it makes zero <laughs> sense to say, like, there's nothing there, really. We're here to, you know, fill it with life. But... Why are you there? Why, why, why are you collecting all this rubber? Absolutely. There's, there's yeah. nothing there, though. So yeah, I thought there was you, nothing. Yeah. I thought there was nothing there. How come are you finding rubber? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and for such a mineral-rich country, mm. and they're saying, like, the country is poor. Like, mm. if the DRC was able, and kind of from a political standpoint and through all the things that it went through, was able to get through that, they would be one of the richest countries because it has a lot of the you know, minerals that we use today. Yeah, your cobalt in your smartphones, um, is you can only find yeah. that in the DLC. Um, and it's a shame because if a country like that is producing things that go into, you know, commodity for, you know, in the West, then why aren't they profiting from that? Why aren't they making any money? Um, and it's also interesting that Stanley says that Africa is a blank, fruitless waste because... It's kind of similar today, like to today, like when people think, oh, well, no, you know, just full of poor people. They had that attitude back then, even though they knew full well why they were in there were in to there. collect the riches. And it's so frustrating that the same narrative kind of gets told over and over again. Yes, there are those elements and, you know, I don't oh, yeah. disagree. There's yeah. definitely it doesn't mean of, that there are no But at the same time, it doesn't mean that there aren't riches and there isn't the possibility for it to be just as successful as any other continent. Mm -hmm. But it's when you replay that over and over again and you're like, gosh, what are (laughs) people... It basically then just sets in, doesn't it? And Mm -hmm. people start to think that that's the truth. That's the truth. Stanley was Leopold's puppet in the DRC, essentially. Uh, So Leopold would direct him and tell him, you know, purchase all of the ivory, which is to be found in the Congo, and Stanley would do whatever it took to deliver the puppet master's request. It also helped that Stanley had no respect for the Congolese people, which can be seen in his journals, uh, where he states, It takes some time to drill and discipline a body of raw Negroes. Punishment must be in two forms, the stick or whipped irons. The best punishment is that of irons, because without wounding, disfiguring or torturing the body, it inflicts shame and discomfort. So this, I'll be honest, it's... It's essentially slavery. Massive slavery alarm out here. Basically. Like, what is even, like... And especially as it's against the backdrop of the abolition movement. So this is, like, the mid-1800s. yeah, yeah. And you have people that are saying, oh, no, let's just stop transatlantic slavery. But actually, let's let's move in. Let's... Yeah, let's put that in another area. Yeah, let's Why just not? be more local. Let's, <laughs> let's localise the business. Like, what are pe- like, what were they thinking that they did not see that... That's what slavery is, what they were doing right here. It's essentially what they're doing. And how did, for me, he's like, you know, if you use an iron, you know, you're not torturing, you're not doing that, you're just inflicting shame and discomfort. How is this civilizing community? How is that? Tell me which bit of it is civilizing. I'm failing to see the correlation between civilization and iron, you know, scars on people. Yeah. (laughs) Which this method isn't making sense. Make it make sense. So another side note, um, throughout Africa's colonial history, there are signs and symbols which represent this time. And for Leopold and the DRC, this was, you know, the cutting off of the hands of the Congolese people and the shikot, which is a whip made of raw sun-dried hippopotamus hide cut into long, sharp-edged corkscrew strips, which could deliver a lethal and fatal blow. 
In order to fulfill Leopold's request, Stanley created an army known as the Force Publique. This was a colonial army equipped with rifles and cannons used to intimidate and kill villagers. This was the reality for the Congolese people, but in Europe, King Leopold was maintaining his philanthropic message, which helped to keep his European counterparts away. Honestly, he is the king of PR. Yeah, they, you know, at the time, this was pretty much PR gold, you know, and there was no fact-checking back then, so who's going to be like, oh, no, this isn't true? Yeah, let's take him to a tribunal, because I don't... <laughs> no, this wasn't existing yet, and he was king, so he could pretty much do what he wanted. Nowadays, you could say... Not to the similar extent, obviously, but Lance Armstrong, in terms of conning a whole world and believing, you know, I've completed all of this. And oh, I wasn't unaided. I, I wasn't, didn't take any drugs. I, I, I never took anything. But he, he is King Leopold being like, you know, I'm delivering good out here. I'm just about helping the people, civilising them. But, hey, you know, please ignore the fact that I'm also cutting people's hands off if they're not collecting enough rubber. Hey, there's no fact-checking service, so what he says pretty much goes. Mm -hmm. For decades, most Europeans were tricked into believing that King Leopold spent his time and fortune on civilising the DRC. He was seen as a non-intimidating king of Belgium, a wealthy, noble and philanthropic king. However, as explorers from Europe and the US began to explore the DRC for themselves, the realities of the atrocity Leopold was committing became evident with many of these people reporting back into their country that they've what they've witnessed. One of those people was American journalist George Washington Williams, who made it clear that Leopold's Congo state was guilty of committing crimes against humanity. He accused Leopold's government of excessive cruelty. He saw ox chains eaten into the necks of prisoners and producing sores around which flies circled. And he found that the courts were abortive, unjust and delinquent, with not one state official knowing the language of the Congolese people. So you're going to tell me that I'm going to go to prison and you're not even going to learn... You're not even going to tell me in the language I understand. I don't even know what you're saying. I don't even understand. I'm just... Do you know what I mean? I'll just be there like, I'm nodding. I'm not... Okay, maybe that is a good thing. Maybe that is a bad thing. I have no idea. Just the level of disrespect. disrespect. (laughs) I'm not going to bother learning. I'm just going to say it to you in my own language. And if you can't even be bothered to learn that, then hey. (laughs) Everyone has to learn your That's your problem. That's (laughs) not mine. Like, imagine that. Like Honestly. The fact that he just was able to... They were able to take over a whole country without even knowing the local language. He took on an area of landmass 76 times the size that he's currently ruling. Didn't bother to learn the language. Oh, this sounds familiar. (laughs) Tell me about (laughs) it. Coming over to this country and not learning the language. And not learning the language. I've heard something like that before. And at the same time, though, I'd rather someone go into a local store and not know the word for bread than someone sending me potentially to jail in court because I... Do you know? (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Because I didn't pick enough rubber. Like, I just... I just can't. Oh... So King Leopold responded to these kind of negative news with his own counter campaign, which involved him bringing to light the atrocities which other colonialist countries were committing, with stories on how Germans were flogging native women in Cameroon to England's wicked war in South Africa. He would also defend himself when he was accused of treating the DRC like a business by stating that 
if it gathers ivory on certain of its lands, that is only to lessen its deficit. In dealing with a race composed of cannibals for thousands of years, it's necessary to use methods which will best shake their idleness and make them realise the sanctity of work. So in this documentary, they portray Africans as lazy, and it's interesting how this stereotype has persisted throughout centuries. Yeah. They call Africans lazy during transatlantic slavery where they're working for free. I don't see how (laughs) that's lazy. Apparently that's still lazy. Apparently that's lazy. You know, even today in the modern world, you know, you'll see, you know, lots of stereotypes about, oh, benefits, council estates, they're lazy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't tell the full story. Um, And why has this stereotype just remained... It still sticks today. Yeah, just still constant today. And I think, like, this taught me, like, a strong lesson around even so early on how difficult it is to remove those stereotypes from a whole people. Like, we still have that today and it still sticks in people's mind. We're just regurgitating the same stories again and again. Yes, it changes in terms of, as this time goes by, but we're still talking it's about, you know, thing. being lazy and that kind of thing um, for a community who have done a lot. And one of the interesting points that I wanted to discuss was around the fact that King Leopold's tactic, okay, we're talking about him being, you know, PR king and all that. Actually, mm-hmm. it was a good point for him to reflect back onto Europe what they were doing as well. They were doing exactly the same exactly thing. Exactly the same. So he's just like, guys, why are you, he's why like, are you well, this is me bad. for it? Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're out there doing exactly the same thing, like moving mad. I'm we're just, all in this together. Yeah, <laughs> this is a copy and paste. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be bad. I will be bad. <laughs> so they can't be shocked at all because he's doing exactly the same thing that they're doing. Um, so it's, you know, it's. I, I mean, they're all committing crimes against humanity. So none of them is able to admit that only when you're using it against someone else. Someone else. But no one can actually look at themselves and be like, actually, I'm doing this too. This this is probably not a good this thing is not to right. do yeah, to I don't think it's right being. when he does it, but I think I'm also, I'm also doing the same thing. I'm civilising them. Yeah, but maybe it's not right. Mm. <laughs> the Congo was very much King Leopold's personal property. However, the growing bad press and negative public opinion across Europe and the US led to Leopold deciding to sell the DRC. Sell? Like a stock. We're now at that point of monopoly yeah. where we are. I've got the hotel. But, but I need to sell I need to remortgage it. Yeah. <laughs> the Belgian government agreed to take on Congo's 110 million francs worth of debts. Not quite sure how they got into debt, seeing as he's basically taken all of their resources. Mm-hmm. With almost 32 million francs that Leopold actually owed to the Belgian government. And pay... 45 and a half million francs towards King Leopold's building projects in the DRC. We haven't actually converted this to modern day, but this is a lot. This is a lot. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's Don't at us about trying to figure out how it equivalent. If it guys. was big, if it was 50 million then, it's probably like a trillion now. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't. don't Money's ask. moving mad at the it's, moment. Yeah. It, so. <laughs> From 1884 to 1908, King Leopold II owned the DRC and then he sold it to his home country, Belgium, who ruled the Congo from 1908 to 1960. And their rule was 
pretty much identical to the atrocities that Leopold himself have committed. So yeah, in the same vein of if you move mad, I'll move mad. Yeah, this is pretty much what <laughs> it you just <laughs> They did not learn a thing, the Belgian government. They were like, you know... They were like, oh, what, these guys are propping up our economy? This is great. Let's carry this on. (laughs) Control C, control (laughs) B. (laughs) The DRC gained independence in 1960 following heavy reluctance from Belgium to give up the country. On the day of Congo's independence, Belgium's king at the time, King Baudouin... Baudouin? Baudouin? Yeah, Baudouin. Baudouin. Bien sûr. Ah, merci. (laughs) Stated that the independence of the Congo is the crowning of the work conceived by the genius of King Leopold II, undertaken by him with courage and continued by Belgium with perseverance. The Belgians honestly had a way with words. They just... Do you know what I mean? How do we make this bad guy look awesome? Courage and perseverance. (laughs) Oh my gosh, like, what... (laughs) At which point, I think this is just a way to... I, d- I don't even know what he was thinking. At least use this as an opportunity to say, do you know what? You guys are free. You, you guys are free. Your freedom. You, you, yeah, more than, <laughs> more than... More than your freedom. More than enough. We've gotten rid of half of your population. But hey, we're going to use the word courage and perseverance. This is, again, just showing how they didn't value, you know, people living in the DRC as human beings. Because... Mm-hmm. If they're just a commodity, I was like, oh, I just inherited this, you know. That's pretty much what they saw. Unfortunately, as we've seen with many of the African countries we've covered so far, gaining independence is not the end of the story and does not mean freedom and autonomy. It's a rulership without the ruler. And this is something we see with the DRC, especially as the source of many minerals and resources we use today. The DRC's story continues with Congo's independence and key political characters like Patrice Lumumba, Mobutu and Kabila. King Leopold II was able to exploit and kill half a population without ever having set foot in the DRC. However, his genocidal legacy is one which has left a permanent scar on a nation and its people. How could you kill half a population without ever visiting that country? That honestly, <laughs> that I do not... Nuts. like. Just the fact that, okay, half a million, but you've never even visited it. But not to even set foot. And you're like, yeah, I've, I've killed people. Yeah, I've I do. Like, so has Belgium ever acknowledged or apologised for these atrocities in the DRC? I think they apologised for certain elements of it, but there oh, hasn't yeah. been an official apology. I'm sorry you they... felt that way. Yeah. Do you know, it's just... I'm sorry you feel like that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just sorry about what happened for the... <laughs> sorry about what happened to you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think an interesting point is um, a quote King Leopold made when he was setting up, kind of selling the DRC to um, the Belgian government, where he says, I will give them my Congo, but they have no right to know what I did there. And following that, he basically got rid of any evidence which showed the kind of atrocities he had committed within the country. Which just goes to show, you know, we're saying, you know, half a population was gone, but that is very much an estimate. Mm. It could be more. They'd, there's never really numbers to quantify, of, you know, the number of dead, as we've mentioned before, when it comes to African countries. And when you have many of the historical records just wiped away, just yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to destroy it then how are you supposed to know how that country came to being, you mm-hmm. know? Because 
you know, that's kind of why we, we're doing what we're doing right now. Because yeah. you look at these countries, you're like, oh, why are they like that? Why are they, quote, underdeveloped? Mm. Well, this is all why. But this you can see why. that a lot of the history has been stifled, essentially. It's interesting to see, like, obviously a lot of this information is kind of lost. And in a sense, like, you know, what could have been of that country and things like that. And obviously, yeah, we're in this position, but it's just, yeah, I think it's one of the great things. We're able to reflect back and really learn and under- have a better understanding of where we are from. Yeah, we don't have the full details, but this is as close as really is, we yeah. can get yeah. um, to that. So thank you for listening, guys. This has been, yeah. It's, uh, it's been very uplifting, hasn't it? Yeah. So please subscribe and we'll see you back here in two weeks time. And don't forget to drop us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Um, five stars would be amazing. We're also on Instagram as at it's a content pod. So feel free to send us your suggestions for future topics. In our next episode, we'll be discussing a slightly more uplifting. We're bringing things up a little bit. Yeah. And looking at the rebirth of Rwanda and how they built a successful country after the brutal civil war.